Okay, I'm here at uh, GDC Online, and with me today is a special guest. How about you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Americo. I'm from Music Games, a Brazilian game studio that we are focusing more on music applications and music fun for interaction. Okay. And, um, you know, let's, let's talk about how your studio got started. Um, what, what inspired you to get into music games? It's a good question. Actually, our company, as a company, we started like 10 years ago doing music applications for people who were learning how to play guitar, drum, keyboards. And in 2008, we were like uh, thrilled by Guitar Hero, Rock Band, and this kind of stuff. And all our programmers are saying, America, we are only doing educational stuff. Let's try to do something more fun. And basically, we, we decided to create a division inside of, of the company, and we call it this division Music Games. It was, in the beginning, three guys only, and we started to learn about the game market and what we would do in this market. And what ended up happening was that we really focused on music games, and we started to work with iPhone applications in 2009. So basically, our first game released was Drum Challenge. It was in June of 2009, and we, we got to the top five music games app in US, UK, Germany, and several other countries. And since then, we have been developing music games, like iMusic Puzzle. And one of the things that we are really trying to do in the studio is to put uh, unique features in the music games. So we are doing music games that you can play with any song, like iMusic Puzzle. You can play with any song that's in your iTunes library. So if you have 2,000 songs, every time you play, it's going to be a different, a different game, a different experience. And that comes from our computer music background. So. Yeah, you know, let's let's talk about your computer music background. So you started out doing software to inspire people to learn music. Then was that was that the original idea, or did you? Was, is that because you guys were passionate about it, or was it some other reason? The company started as Giordano, which is my partner. He was he, he used it to try to learn music in Brazil, and his mother sent him to a school that had a formal education in music, and that was really boring. And so he ended up learning different instruments by himself. So when he got into the university, he had that desire to work with computer music, and there was no company in Brazil doing computer music software, so basically he founded the company in 2001. And his idea from the beginning was to make the learning process easier for anyone so you could look at the computer the computer would show you how to play and then you would play so it's pretty similar what today we have in the music games like guitar hero but you know what's interesting is that now you started back then and you know with the aspiration to actually get people to learn music and um, via computers and stuff like that and then you see this thing like rock band take off what were you guys thinking at that point? Um, because, you know, Rock Band became a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar product. Or, or, okay, Guitar Hero Rock Band, stuff like that. So, um, you know, at that point, were you guys thinking that, were you even thinking about games before that even happened? Or what? did you just realize that or recognize that the power of games to actually inspire as, as a better medium for people to learn and to, to embrace music? That's a good question. And when we saw that stuff coming out, we'd say, why didn't we do that? So yeah. that's the, the, so, the first so what, question. You know, that's, I think that's important for smaller developers where sometimes they just miss these opportunities. I mean, what questions would you have asked or what techniques or habits would you wish you would have had back then so that you would have caught that trend? 
for us specifically, we were too focused on the software market, so we were very focused on getting to music websites to promote our products, our educational software, and talking with publishers from the educational field. I think the main problem for us was that we weren't looking at the broad market spectrum, we weren't analyzing things that were working on worldwide, so that's why we missed the opportunity back then, because technically we had all the capability to do that kind of stuff, but we were focusing on a different niche, a different market. So, so other game developers listening, you know, so now what you do is you actually do see what's working in other different industries and maybe see how you can borrow from that and apply it to what you're doing. For sure. I think that's the most important thing that uh, as a management level has to do. He has to, to have a strategic outlook of what's going on on the, on the world. And for us, what, what, we, what helped us to have a little bit of this kind of insight was when the two entrepreneurs, me and Giordano, we started like having more people to work with us and we started getting more time to get just out of the day-to-day -day business activities and we started to look at it as a strategic level as of the company and of the market. So let's let's talk about strategy then. Um, when you say strategic level, can you talk about exactly what you mean? Day-to-day, um, -day, okay, when you say day-to-day, -day, you're talking about just maintaining code and stuff like that, but what, what do you mean by strategy? and? When did you feel that you first started thinking about strategy for the company? Uh, I think it really started in 2007 when we got to a moment where we had like 15 educational software on the market and we said, what, were, what are we going to do now? We had guitar, we had flute, we had drums, we had everything. And then we said, okay, we need to figure out what what will, what will be the next steps. So we really started to research the markets. So we, we researched the software market. Nothing really came out of it. We researched the game market. Guitar Hero was happening at that time. And basically, we decided that we, we were going to... to put some money and some risk in the game market and from this point on I was taken out of the day-to-day -day jobs and they gave me the responsibility to direct the games division so basically on the end of the day what do I do daily uh, I read news about the game market uh, tr I try to speak with publishers as much as I can and basically on the on the overall I think the most important stuff to have is to have someone doing this, even if it's not the founder of, of the company, but you have to have something, someone good on the marketing side and on the strategy side. And do you then just talk about strategy with your um, other partner all the time? or how does it At that time we were three partners in the company and what happened was that we managed to, to create a business plan for the game division, the music games division. And we went out to look for for venture capital and funds for, for starting the studio. We were only three people there. So basically, we got some funds from uh, the Brazilian Innovation Agency with a project to do these music games that are played with any song. And after that, we kind of get we got money for the development. So we had money to hire like 10 people, 15 people to do this, the games and do the software behind it. But kind of, with, we didn't have money for marketing, for infrastructure, for PR, and for everything that's also needed. Yeah. So basically, we spent all the, the year of 2008 speaking with venture capital funds in Brazil. And in Brazil, it's really tough to have a venture capital fund working with a game developer because they don't understand the game market really well. The game market didn't really exist in Brazil at that time. So we ended up in 2009 uh, conversating with a, a 
venture capital fund that was that started they started in 2008 and we spent one year negotiating with them how they would get into the company and how the company would be organized after them so basically what happened was that they entered in, in music games in february of 2010 and then we started a like a company build up process and can you talk about the growth challenges of building up your company because um, you know you're kind of like this small indie studio to an extent and now you're expanding how, how does that happen how does that work and what were some of the lessons learned for a game studio as, as ours, the main challenge is to go as fast as you can so that you can compete because you know there are millions of game studios doing iPhone games and social games. So for us, we have a very aggressive business plan for the next five years that of course the venture capital guys are putting the money for us to execute it. And one of the things that we are trying to do there is uh, have everyone in the studio aligned with our objectives, with our goals, and we are trying to implement a, you know, a human resource management way in that we are going to reward our, our employees on, on the results that they generate. So basically, right now we have a, a bonus plan. So once we do a game that reaches like 50,000 unique sales, we're going to give everyone that work on that project like a, a week, a week, a weekend in a beach there in Brazil. So we, they have some really goals, nice goals on the projects, and each goals are associated with like uh, more income that they can receive and awards. So basically, that's something that we are trying to do there. And what about managing the people? How do you deal with that? And how does that give you time to do strategy? I mean, if you, I mean, so what? That, that's crazy because we were 10 people, now we're 30. And what happened was that in, in one point in 2009, we were hiring, 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 hiring. And then after you hire so much people, you have to manage them well. And we as a, um, as uh, I am the CEO and my partner is the CTO, we couldn't directly manage all of them, of course. So basically we broke the studio in, in teams. We had three teams right now there, two iPhone teams, not iPhone, smartphone teams, and one social games team. And we hired a project manager, and so she oversees the work of these three, these three teams and on a daily to daily basis. So she manages the schedules, the deliveries, the quality, and everything. And we are more meeting with the, the teams like weekly. So when they release something, we get to play and then we give them feedback. So that's the way it is working right now for us. And would you say, okay, so in 2009 you started releasing these iPhone and social games. Can you talk more about them and the games that you did release and the response? Uh, actually, when we started doing iPhone, we were researching, and our first game was Dram Challenge. It was an idea from one of our programmers. He came to us and said, I want to do this, this, and, and he kind of explained the idea. Which one? The game's a mixture of music and rhythm, uh, memory and rhythm games. So basically, we kind of started as a test, and we released the game after three months of development with a small team of four people, and the game started to sell, more or less, but in some point Apple started to promote it, so it kicked off, and it sold a lot, and once we 
we understood how the market worked, we started creating other games. So basically, we focused entirely on the first year in 2009 to create a portfolio of titles. So we released a drum challenge, iMusic puzzle, uh, paper boat race, uh, mix box, and other titles. Our main strategy was to create a portfolio of things to show to the publishers so that they can know what we, we're capable of doing, then we can start working together with them. Um, why go through publishers? Why not self-publish? I mean, Apple really doesn't care, per se, about um, you know whether you're a game developer or some other software company. For them, it doesn't matter. So, so why go through a publisher? That, that's a tricky question. Uh, for us, what we figured out with these six games that we released as a portfolio building strategy, some of them were promoted by Apple, and when they're promoted, they sold. The other ones that weren't promoted, like we tried to promote by ourselves, and in some in some points we did okay, but they really didn't pick up. So there is a big challenge in the Apple Store today, which is getting promoted and getting visibility because there are millions of games there. So one of the things that we want to achieve with the with the publishers that they help us in the marketing. Right now we are in a position that we have money for marketing, but we really we are not sure if the best on how is the best way to use this money. Be be honest. So we want publishers to come aboard with us because they are experts in PR and marketing and showing to Apple the good stuff of the games. So that's why we are working with them. We have worked with Chilingo until now uh, and Bokepix. They have done good jobs, but we are still doing more stuff with them. Now, why not just stick to the one or you know the games that Apple's promoting? Why not just stick with them and just do daily or weekly iterations? Um, some games, like uh, Pocket God, you know what they do is they just released one game and just kept on iterating, iterating, and they've sold millions of copies. So why not do that? Why did you go with the strategy of doing multiple games um, over the course of a year? Uh, on the beginning, when we released the Drum Challenge, we released it, and then. What's going to happen? I think we released three updates after after a while, but on, on, on that time there weren't many, there weren't in Apple Pay purchases specifically, and, and the concept of Pocket God wasn't wasn't really on our radar, so we weren't thinking on, a, on doing games like that, like on an evolutive basis. And what happened was that today, then the two games that we are working on, one is really an evolutive one, so we are going to release it with like 30 or 40 levels, and then our plan is to add five levels per week. So that's something that's going to happen. And on the other one, we are going, we are going to have lots more of in-app purchases. So we already put it on drum challenge after after some months in app and on the next ones we are considering this, which is very interesting. Um, so in-app purchases, can you talk about that more? And um, yeah, is that is that a better business model? For us, it's kind of a complementary business model. On the drum challenge, for example, we have millions of people who downloaded it, and the, the in-app papers they are really not they are not generating a lot of money, but they are keeping the people playing. Yeah. So, in some point, it's important for us because we maintain the relationship with our players. Sorry. <laughs> and basically, we are we are trying to get a mixture of paid stuff and, and, and free upgrades. So, in a, when I talk about in-app paid, it means new songs that can be played in the game. So, we release some for free and some for paid. Sure. And 
um, when you talk about songs, are these uh, indie songs or are these like famous songs? How are you getting these songs? Uh, for Drum Challenge specifically, it's like songs that we create in-house. We have two musicians there because it's a memory and rhythm game. So basically, it's a, the, the, the player starts drumming on, on, on drum kit and then you have to repeat that. Uh, and on other games like iMusic Puzzle, we, which we have the idea that you can play with any song that you have on your library, it really is up to you. So. And um, now you mentioned social games. So what, what are you going to do in terms of music and social games? Or do you want to get away from music when you're doing social games? Um, what's, what's the strategy there? That's a question that we're still <laughs> trying to answer in the company. But what we're doing there, uh, in January of 2010, we created a, a social games team in parallel of the other two ones. And we started to do a music game, a music social game for Facebook. And right now we haven't released this game yet. We're speaking with some publisher that will probably release it with us. And we are also working on an Orkut game. Orkut is, is the Facebook of Brazil. So uh, we have worked with Orkut before on the music educational side. We, had a, uh, we have a music application there. But on this game specifically, we're targeting the Brazilian, Brazilian public and audience. And so we're really trying to stay focused on the music games. But... Our, our team and our creative team is popping up with ideas for other kind of social games. <laughs> so we are in the... Yeah, so, so how do you balance that uh, strategy? I mean, you're, you guys want to be known for music games. And then you have, obviously, and this usually happens anyways, is you have people on your team who want to do other types of games. What do you do? I mean, do you just say stick to the strategy? Or do you do 90% of your core strategy, 10% experimentation? What is the best thing that you've seen work for your studio? That's something really tricky, and that's inclusive. Some something that it's it sometimes affects the motivation of the of the of the team. Because yeah. some of the guys they were doing DS games before, and some others were doing PC downloadable stuff. But when we speak with developers, I, I think that 90% of them they always want to do PlayStation 3 games or Xbox and whatever. But for a company like ours, it, it doesn't really make sense. But uh, on a daily basis, we try to keep our ears open for, for new ideas. And the, the recent uh, guideline that we gave to them is we're looking for iPhone and social games. So if you have any idea about this, tell us. And then we have, uh, sometimes we have like brainstorm meetings. So we are not really throwing ideas away in the beginning. If it's on the platforms that we are already, we, we know how to do and we are doing stuff. So that's pretty much how we are. And, um, you know, what language are these games um, aimed at? Since you're from Brazil, do you, do you target the English audience? Do you target the Spanish audience? What's That's a good question. From the beginning, we were only targeting U.S. and Europe. And so Drum Challenge, iMusic Puzzle, they are all in English. And, of course, for this Orkut game, that we are, it will be our first test in Orkut. It will be in Portuguese. But uh, one thing that we have from our software time there is that Everything is easily localized, so at some point, if some opportunity arises for us to localize to Spanish, it's really easier. Yeah, and I mean, in Facebook, uh, you see a lot of these games that are first introduced in Spanish. Um, so I wasn't sure if that's something you guys considered, or if you know, or if, I, I don't know about Portuguese versus Spanish. How easy it is to even. Uh, 
we can understand the Spanish guys really perfectly, but they can't understand us, so that's a problem. But on the Facebook side of the things, uh, we are really in touch with some publishers, and that's something that we are putting on the publisher hand. If they feel that it's very important to have a Spanish version or German or whatever, we're going to localize it. So that's that. in the technical point of view, the, the the thing that you have is you have to make things localized, localizable, so that once the publisher decides, you do it, and, and that's it. And um, you know, Orchid is that is that going up? Is that staying the same in Brazil, or is Facebook taking over? Um, what what's the perspective from Brazil? That that's a good question. Uh, Orchid in Brazil, I would say that it's uh, spread across all kinds of people, all kinds of all regions of Brazil, uh, geographically speaking, and also on all levels of income per population. So. We have middle-class people using Orkut. We have high-class people using Orkut. We have poor people <laughs> using Orkut. Uh, what I'm seeing, and this is just really a feeling, I don't have any data to, to back this, but what I'm seeing is that the, the high middle-class and high-class, they are starting to use Facebook. And I think it's, it's something that's going to, to happen in a way that they want to get away of the, of the full amount of people. They want something more private. And so I think it, Facebook will grow a little bit there on the next few months. And how, how is it to be a game developer in Brazil? Um, is that even something people understand? How, how big are games in Brazil? Um, Great. Yeah, can you talk about uh, We have around 30 companies in Brazil doing games. Uh, in our city, we are located in Recife. We have a technology park called Porto Digital. And in Porto Digital, we had like 150 companies, IT companies. And from this 100 and, and whatever, we have seven game companies. So some guys are doing advert games, other guys are doing MMOs, soccer MMOs, other guys are doing music games. So basically in Brazil, the development community is very small. We have an association which is called Abra Games, where we meet together and this association tries to do some stuff with the government like in trade shows like Game Connection or GDC San Francisco. They have a booth for, all, for the companies to go and meet other people. So basically, it's a small community. And one of the, best, the biggest problems that we have in Brazil is that in Brazil, games, they have right, high, very high taxation. So if you want to buy a PS3 games in Brazil, it will cost like four times what it costs here in the US. So we don't have a real internal market. And that forced the companies to look overseas. So all the developers are probably doing stuff for U.S. and Europe. Well, what about Orchid? Um, Orchid seems to be a place where there are games like Buddy Poke and stuff like that. So what's um, is that introducing people to games, or are people just still not taking them up because of that high cost? Uh, because virtual currency probably has the same taxation. Virtual currency doesn't have the same taxation. Oh, it doesn't. That's... Yeah. So if I want to sell virtual currency for my game, it's I will pay the same as, a, as if I'm selling a regular software, so it's okay. Uh, what happened was that I think that our studios, they didn't really took Orkut in a, in a serious way until now. So it's starting to build up as we, we are working with it. But uh, and, and Can you explain why Brazil then... So you're saying Brazil is just purposely taxing games a lot more than other items? In my Actually, it's not really games. We have a very complicated tax system in the country as a whole. But for, for instance, the problem is that the, the consoles and the games, they were not included in the 
they did it three years ago what they call it, uh, IT law. This IT law was dedicated to reduce the, 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 the taxes and the costs of IT stuff. So notebooks in Brazil today are cheap. And, but since console games stay out of it, okay. we couldn't really reduce it. So there is a huge fight there in, in Brasilia, our capital, to put the games inside of the IT law so that we can reduce the prices. So I hope we'll make it. Okay. So you're saying when you when you walk around Brazil, a lot of people don't necessarily even get to play your games. Um, so how do you find how do you do testing there, and what are some of the other challenges of that? That's really uh, challenging for us. What you have in Brazil, it's, in being honest with you, is a piracy. So everyone plays PS2, PS3, and whatever, and we, but they don't buy the games. So, but for us, and would you say they're playing more online or or, or on these consoles? I think they are playing more and more online, but the cons the consoles they still have an appeal with 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 the audience there. So, but uh, in terms of testing, since we are doing iPhone stuff, we are really in a niche <laughs> in, in a niche way there in Brazil. What we try to do is that we have internal tests and we have a better team of around 20 people that sometimes we invite to our offices to play the, the games that are coming out. So basically this is an interactive process and we are building this team with people who have iPhone or iPods and they like games. So. And you know, you're developing for cell phones. Can you talk about the cell phone market in Brazil? Um, how many people have smartphones there? And how popular is iPhone? How popular is Android? The, the mobile phone in Brazil is big. We have around uh, 110 million cell phones in Brazil. And Brazil has less than 200 million people. So, but in terms of smartphones, it's still small. Uh, iPhone there is, is very small because it's so expensive in Brazil. It's not in the IT law also. Oh, it isn't, okay. Yeah. So you have, uh, the iPhone is very expensive there. But in Brazil, we have mo many and many uh, Nokia smartphones. So we are starting to work with Nokia to get some of our games there. So is that the J2ME platform or is that... Um they have lots of J2, but we are targeting more the new stuff, Symbian 2 and Symbian 3. And, but there is Nokia there, and, and there are a couple of others. But I would say that this is a real market that will grow in the next two years, because as Brazil's economy is growing, the people are having more income, they will certainly buy more smartphones. So with that said, um, where where's the future of your studio going then? Are you going to focus on music games for Europe and US? Are you going to focus on Brazil and South American countries? What? That's a good question. I don't know exactly the answer, but what I know is that we are putting a lot of effort into building a, a user base, a Brazilian user base, because we see value in it, and probably what our strategy says that if we are strong in Brazil, it will make our company more valuable in the, in the long term. So we're, to, we're definitely committed to do this. But on the other side, we can't uh, forget the day-to-day -day business. And the day-to-day -day business is done with US and Europe revenues. So probably we're going to keep one team focusing on, on Brazil and two or three teams working on, on the other stuff. And then what would you say for other developers who are you know, starting out and they want to succeed? They, they want to figure out the financials and some of the other um, 
they want to get through that learning curve of the logistics and all these other things they need to learn. What suggestions do you have for so that a small developer or a small team can actually make a sustainable studio, sustainable game studio? That's a good question. Uh, I think the, the first thing for the uh, small developer or, people, or a person which, which is studying game development is to really get an understanding of where he's footing on. So if you're trying to do iPhone games, you have to play lots of iPhone games. You have to be reading all the iPhone games blogs and, and things so that you can have a, a good idea of what's going on. And is that something you guys do now? Yeah, and that's something that I do daily. So I'm always reading iPhone stuff, Facebook stuff, and Orkut stuff. And, and this gives me a better view of also what's coming. So, for example, on, when iPad was announced and Apple uh, put it a, an open API for developing for it, I met with our team there and I said, guys, we need to have Drum Challenge on iPad. First thing, first thing, because Apple is just going to promote iPad stuff on the next months, and that that really happened because when Apple released the iPad, like all of the guys in Apple were only focusing on iPad because Steve Jobs was talking about Apple and they had to make it success. So basically, we released a drum challenge. I think two days after the iPad was released, we got probably the first iPad in Brazil, one friend shipped it to us by FedEx for, for us to test it. And it was great because it was promoted by Apple, which sold a lot. And it was a game that was released one year ago for iPhone. So that probably wouldn't have helped happen if we weren't like paying attention to everything, if we weren't talking to other studios and other publishers. And that's also something very important. Uh, meet other studios and meet the publishers because they have information that sometimes you don't, you can't access. And if they, if you manage to develop a, a trust relationship with them, they will share this to, with you. And sometimes. So, so when you say meet the developers, meet the publishers, are you talking about going to conferences or are you talking about talking to them online via email? I mean, how? What is the best way you do that? I mean, are, or do you go out of your way to meet developers in Brazil? Okay. Uh, I'm the business development man manager of the company, so how do I work uh, in this direction? Uh, some of the publishers, I met them through LinkedIn, so I just started looking for the who are the guys who are managing the third-party portfolios of the big publishers, and then I started mailing those guys and trying to talk with them. Some of them reply, some of them never reply. And we are always on the big uh, conferences and shows, Game Connection in Lyon, GDC San Francisco, GDC Online here. And what we try to do in these events is more like meeting them face to face and showing them our new stuff and trying to build a relationship. That's the, the, main, the main thing. And for us, it's, it's kind of difficult because we're in Brazil, so I can't be in Europe or in the US every week to, to talk with them and to get them to, to do some, for some drinks, for example. But uh, we try to make them as frequent as possible, and the shows they serve for that. So that's why three times a year we are on the shows. And what we also do is that when they don't go to the shows, I try to visit them in their offices. So that's also important. And then talking to other developers, how are you doing that? That is more like an informal thing, and it really... And it's mostly just other iPhone developers, or are you talking about just Brazilian developers? No, we talk more with other iPhone developers than Brazilian developers. I don't know why, but uh, it's really people that we meet on the shows that we develop a f friendship relationship. 
and then we end up talking with them and sharing experiences. So that's pretty much one thing that we that was interesting was to we have contact many developers through OpenFaint. They're a social game platform, so there are many developers there. Some of them we met through OpenFaint. So. Um, and any other then suggestions for uh, developers out there who, you know, and I mean, how do they deal with the change? You know, because things are changing so quickly. You're focusing on iPhone today. Now, you know, it just came out a few months ago that Android is outselling iPhone. So what, what does that mean? So how do you guys balance, like you said, your day-to-day -day with uh, emerging opportunities? Or do you have a strategy That's a very important question. Uh, and that's the, one of the most, uh, like, stress points that we have inside of our company today is that we have to be as fast and faster than the market because we need to grow. So that impacts the way we create games. So we usually have to have like, okay, we are going to have this game and we have only four months to develop it. And we need to do it in four months. Isn't four months a really long time in this space? For, in the beginning, we felt it was a long time, but today we feel it's not a long time. It's, it's too much time to do an iPhone game, for example. But on the other hand, we have to balance the quality of the games. So we are now focusing on doing bigger games and more quality games so and this is taking more longer than we were anticipated so we have two titles that we, we are working on like six or seven months until now one is an android and iphone and the other one is just iphone so so that seems to be a contradiction with your um testing out of your strategy of evolving a product so get something simple out there and just evolve it over time because you actually build a bigger fan base that way instead of trying to make it high quality at first um are you just going to try both strategies what I think that you have I think that the games that we had that sold very well they sold because they had quality they could have have a better art maybe or they could have have more content on the beginning but they were good games uh, on the other side there is a challenge to in a game that was wasn't a top 10 game but was like a top 10 in a subcategory like music there is a challenge to to this I would call them a middle success game to keep them alive because the user usually the users they forget the game so at some point I think that the the continuous updates on the, on the big games, that the games who are for top five on the games category, they make sense because they have a very huge installed base, like 100,000 users that, that download all the updates and things like that. And this makes the game to live. So, but but when, you, when you have like 10,000 users that bought the game in the game history log, or 20, it really didn't. It, it really doesn't pick up when you do an upgrade. It, it, it says they didn't. They don't like increase too much. So I think that it's a great approach to improve your game. Once you have a game that's uh, broad in terms of audience, at, at least that's our feeling. <laughs> and um, you know what? What are so uh, anything else moving forward that you guys are going to do? Um, what about gameplay? Um, how much time do you invest in that? Do you feel that you've already have the core game components or gameplay for for your music titles moving forward, or do you experiment? That's a, that's interesting because we are a music game developer, but we're not. We don't want to do Guitar Hero, 
so that's a tricky thing because we are always trying to push harder on where we are going to 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 what are we going to do and most of the ideas that came to to us came from the, from our own team and what we try to do there is try to incentivate them to do as much prototypes as possible so right now i think we have two games under prototyping and for the prototyping sometimes we put only one guy to do the prototype and it's maybe it's doing done in flash really weird graphics just for us to test the gameplay and sometimes these prototypes they prove oh this is funny even with a very strange art and even if not good songs so then we evolve the game and we really put it on the pipeline and after some months it's really good so basically we incentivate prototyping a lot so that we can find new ways to interact with music in the games and how often or how frequently are you doing this prototyping is it every week a little time every week is it every month we have uh, one of the titles that we are working on right now, we prototyped it like for four months. One guy, one artist, one developer and one game designer, like improving the game. Until we, f we found that the game was okay in the great stage so that we could put it on production. So we put it more people inside of the team. So it really depends on the prototype. In some points, it's really clear that the idea is, works, and we can move on really fast. We can put a team to develop it. That was Drum Challenge, and that was iMusic Puzzle. But in other times, we're not so confident, so we give them a little bit of more time to improve the concept and the, and the game design so that we can, okay, this really works. And where can developers find out more information about your games or play your games? They can f check it out at musicgames.com or just type music games in Apple Store and probably in the next few months in Android Store also. And we're also coming on Symbian. So. And how do you spell music games? Just M-U-S-I-Games.com. Thank you very much. Thanks.